Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. This week, we had a guest speaker join us and share a word. The following episode was recorded live during Sunday's service. Thank you. It's very good to be here this morning. It's always, uh, it's always an honor to be asked to do this. Um, so it's my it's for round two. I got to, got to speak about a month ago if you were here. I'm very excited to, to get to help out again to allow Jay and Heather to do their sabbatical. Um, they deserve it. We wanted them to be able to do it smoothly. So it's my pleasure to, to step in and help out where I can. Um, so <clears throat> when, uh, when I was a, a younger person, um, I, I, I was getting to an age, I was getting like 13, 14, 15 age, and I felt like I probably needed to be reading the Bible more. I didn't really, I didn't really love reading the Bible, but I felt like, you know, it's one of those things you're supposed to do, I need to be an adult about it and try to start reading the Bible more. So I was kind of, I was kind of trudging through and, and reading the Bible, and, and I came across the book of Ecclesiastes. And this was like early 2000s, and like being goth and emo was super in, and I was just like, this is an awesome book. I was just like, it's super metal, like uh, there's, there's no point to anything, there's nothing new under the sun, you know, Solomon's this wise guy who's like always two steps ahead of everybody. And so I got really into the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I thought wisdom was like the coolest thing ever, you know, Solomon has like this Midas touch moment, he becomes this super wise guy, people come from hundreds and thousands of miles away to ask him questions and hear his lectures, and, and I thought wisdom was the coolest thing, and I started praying for wisdom. And what I didn't know was, if you just pray for wisdom, God just gives you opportunities to, to learn things. And so, like, like, conventional wisdom is like building an Ikea shelf and not realizing till the end you're missing two bolts to finish it, and so next time you buy an Ikea shelf, you, you check first so that you don't have to look at an Ikea shelf that's only half built for two months as, as Sweden sends you new bolts. I, I was thinking like the Midas Touch version where like, you know, the hand of God touches you and then like you're instantly a, a 3D chess player and, and that's, that's not how it works. So if you want to pray for wisdom, you're welcome to, but just understand it's going to give you opportunities to learn wisdom. And in my case, at least, it just means screwing things up and realizing I probably shouldn't do it like that anymore. So, one of the things I never prayed for as a young person was patience. I had a wise person tell me once to never pray for patience for the same reason. If you pray for patience, God will give you an opportunity to practice patience, and it's just going to be really frustrating. So, I never prayed for patience. I want to go on record as saying I never once prayed for patience. Um, However, over the last couple of, of months, God has decided I needed to practice and exercise some patience. And so over the last six or eight weeks, I, I have had an opportunity to um, experience some, some patient growing opportunities. Um, and and I, I want to talk a little bit about, about that today. Um, I want to go on record as saying I have no right to stand up here and tell you to be patient. If I am not the least patient person in this room, I would be impressed. I, I am the person who gets a, a red light one block before my turn, and I make the right there and go the back road and then try to merge onto the road just to beat the 60-second light. And I usually end up waiting like two or three minutes to merge onto the highway anyway, and it would have been way better to just wait for the light. Anybody else? Anybody else the, the right turn people? I, I'm not only that person, I, the next time it comes up, I think, 
I just didn't do it right the first time. I can beat it this time. I'm pretty sure I'm, I truly am the least patient person that I know. Um, but like I said, I've had some opportunities to, to grow in patience over the last couple of months. Hopefully I'm learning something. Um, so over the last eight weeks, um, first and foremost, uh, my wife and I have a three-year-old. It is a, it is a daily opportunity to learn patience every day. Um, my wife, my beautiful wife, is eight months pregnant. Um, that's, that takes some patience. Uh, it's July, which is like the worst month to be eight months pregnant in. Um, she's forced to live with my three-year-old and I, which honestly, she should be giving this sermon. She's the most patient person I know, uh, but she's not supposed to stand this long, so you're going to have to deal with me. Um, our air conditioner went out about four weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. It's still July. Um, so arguing with a three-year-old on whether or not they're going to brush their teeth in a 77-degree home is a, is a patience experience. As a matter of fact, uh, I, think, I think God's funny. And you don't have to think that, but, but he is. Um, so this was done. Completely done. Sent David the slides. Had the title created. Word documents saved. Done. We went to Sprint yesterday. And I had bought a new phone a while back. I was going to switch over because mine's having problems and it's not working very well. And we get to Sprint and there's like one or two people there and there's one guy working and uh, he says, hey, I'll be with you in just a minute. Uh, you know, I'm finishing something up. My boss is on his way. You know, we'll get to you real quick. Okay, so we sit down. It's like 45 minutes or an hour and the boss gets there and then he starts helping the other person who's there. And the first guy's still not done with the first people. So like an hour and 20 minutes in, a third person shows up and starts working. And so he starts helping us. And I had already done all my research. I knew what the prices were. I knew what I wanted, the works. And so I get up there. I'm like, this is going to be super simple. We're going to activate this new phone, deactivate this one. Off we go. Within like three minutes, he's like, this isn't going to work. And I'm just like, what do you mean it's not going to work? Um, so cell phone towers in America, there's two different versions. There's two different types. And the phone that I bought was specifically listed as either or. It had both kinds on the listing. And it's not. They shipped me the wrong one. It has the other kind of towers that, that Sprint doesn't use, and they can't use the phone. And so we leave. Um, Marky's hungry, so we go to a restaurant. I spend the next 45 minutes sighing into my phone as I talk to eBay and PayPal, and they tell me I'm outside of my return policy, and they're going to have to freeze the funds and contact the, the seller. And I'm just like, God, it's, it's done. I don't need any more opportunities or stories for the sermon. <laughs> I was not a patient boy yesterday. As a matter of fact, I finally finished, and Marky was enjoying a nice sandwich, and she's like, are you hungry? And I'm like, no just angry. So I have no right to, to talk to you today about patience, but I have had a lot of opportunities over the last few weeks to learn about patience. So I want to read today out of Lamentations chapter 3. Um, we won't read yet, but if you want to start turning there, you're welcome to. Um, so Lamentations has a lot of backstory to it. There's a lot going on in the book of Lamentations. Um, it is rough. It is not a happy book. It is a doom and gloom book. Um, if you're a Hallmark Channel fan, I apologize. This is, this is not your book. Um, so we don't have an exact date on the writing of Lamentations. Um, we believe that the background of the book being written is, is um, after the second siege of Jerusalem, um, which King Nebuchadnezzar did, King Nebuchadnezzar II did, um, around 586, 587 B.C., 
Um, so that's the second siege. Sieges are not like crave cookie dough locations where once you've got two of them, your city's really like the place to be. They're not a good time. Um, we don't really do sieges anymore. So let's talk logistic on sieges. So you've got the city of Jerusalem proper and around it, it's got big stone walls, right? Walls of Jericho type picture. You know, you've got big walls all the way around the city. Everybody doesn't live inside the walls, though. You've got the burbs outside of the city. It's got, like, the craftsmen and the artisans and the market people. And then you've got the, the sticks, the agriculture, herding, um, all, all of those types of people. When a siege is looming, all of the people from the burbs and the sticks come into the city walls. They lock down the gates, and they try to wait out the siege. Um, so I don't know about you. I'm not great with crowds. Like, this is about how far I need to be from a crowd before I start getting uncomfortable. Um, and, and imagine, so imagine Springfield, and imagine all the people in Stratford and Republic and Nixa and Ozark all had to come into Springfield proper to, to wait out a siege. And, like, I don't even like going downtown, like, just on a Friday night. And, like, the number of people that are out there just stresses me out. Imagine... Everybody from the surrounding area coming into the city walls, not just like to put their name in at Cheddar's for lunch, but like to live, right, for like weeks and months. And the, the, the hotels are full. They start putting up tents to, to house people. Um, the, the bus station is, is packed full of people. Everybody's trying to get to the same places. It's just a, a total mess. And, and we're talking about living in this, this, this kind of condition for survival, not because they want to or they need to, but they have to. There's no other, there's no other options. And so Jerusalem's not in a great spot during the siege. Um, Jerusalem was actually a pretty impressive city. Um, they had a fresh water source within the city walls, so they had a way to get water to the people. Um, they had agriculture, into the, inside the city walls, so they were able to actually grow fruits and vegetables and things like that, at least for a period of time. But you, you think about that type of condition, and, and eventually the first siege of Jerusalem lasted three years. I mean, they were running out of food. They, the, imagine, you know, in, in the wintertime when everybody moves into the buildings and, and everything's a little bit tighter and how cold and flu goes around like crazy. It's like that, only year-round disease and hunger and all of these issues. And, you know, I don't want to get too graphic, um, but eventually there's going to be losses, like, related to the, the food and disease issues. And there aren't cemeteries inside the city walls. They were literally heaving bodies over the walls because they didn't know what else to do with them. Imagine being Babylon and watching bodies being tossed over the walls as the, the great city of God crumbles before your eyes. I mean, these were dark times. Um, in Jeremiah, we see, we see some of the horrible fulfillment of some of the prophecies of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 24, he said, I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them until they are destroyed from the land I gave them and their ancestors. In 9.22, he says, Dead bodies will lie like dung on the open field, like cut grain behind the reaper with no one to gather them. I mean, I've listened to metal albums with more optimism than that. It's... It's brutal. It's a really bad situation. And, and so this is, this is where the, the writer of Lamentations is whenever he writes what we're going to read out of, out of Lamentations 3. We're going to start in chapter, or I'm starting verse 13 of chapter 3. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace 
and I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone, and all that, all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. And given the world that he's viewed and is living in, I think we can totally understand all of that. What I struggle to understand with is the next word of verse 21. And it depends on your version. My version, it's yet. In yours, it might be but or however. In verse 21, it says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because the Lord's great love, we, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And I can't imagine living in a world like the author of Lamentations was living in and what he was going through. But I think, I think when we're in times of trial like that, when we have to exercise self-control and patience and things like that, hopefully, God willing, never like that. But in our own lives, when we deal with those times, I think we have to ask ourselves a question when we experience trials. And it's, what do you believe about God? Who do you believe that he is? Because when you're in a time of trial, you can think that, that God's an old man in the sky asleep in his rocker. And he's completely unaware of what you're going through. You can think of him as a, as a malevolent child with a magnifying glass watching the ants of earth burn. Or you can think of him as a parent who simply has to help his children walk through difficult times so that when they come out on the other side, they're better for it. I've met people who seriously believe each of those versions of God. And in, the, in this day and age, you can believe anything you want. There, whatever you believe in, there's something to support it. If you believe the way to solve global warming is to flip the flat earth over to the cool side, I'm sure there's a poorly designed website that'll support that for you, if that's what you really want. But if you're in the midst of a struggle, it's really easy to think of God as, as an old man asleep at the wheel of the world and just completely unaware of what you're going through. It's really easy to think of him as a being that just likes to see the suffering of people. But if you read the same book that I read, I don't think you'll support either of those things. God talks about being our parent and helping us walk through things and helping us grow. And, and I, think that, I think that it's interesting. Um, so last time, last time I spoke, I talked a little bit about context and the importance of context and, and understanding verses in context. And that's why we did a lot of the background that we did on Lamentations. One of the verses I threw out during that was, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. It comes from Jeremiah 29. And, and that verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, is that that chapter is five chapters after the verse that I read that said, I'm going to send the sword and famine and plague to run the people out of the land that I gave them. Chapter 29 of Jeremiah was written to the exiles of Babylon. Um, when the siege happened, um, after the first siege, um, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians took all of the talented and the beautiful people and took them back to Babylon. Um, they took craftsmen um, and artisans, and they had them do their crafts to, to make beautiful products for Babylon, and the money that they would have earned because of that work went to the military effort to, to expand the, the kingdom of Babylon. And I want to put that verse into context. We love reading that verse. Um, it's, it's, the, 
It's the, I, I think of the embroidery verse. I think of it like on an embroidered throw pillow at my grandma's house. But you see it on, on uh, inspirational Facebook posts and things like that. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to bring you hope in a future. This is the context of that verse in, in Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile." So I think what's really interesting, that I think what's, what's very wisely pointed out by the author of Lamentations in, in the second half of what we read is, when you are going through a time of trial, which obviously Jerusalem's going through a time of trial, um, but when you're going through that time of trial, um, all, that, all that the author says is that if we just wait to get out the other side, that's where the growth and the victory comes to us. That's when we begin to, to grow through those experiences. And I don't think that God is unaware of the suffering of people. I don't believe that, that he is neglecting them and allowing them to suffer because he enjoys it. I think, I think that the reason we go through trials is really complicated. I mean, in the case of Jerusalem, there was a lot of willful disobedience that led to the situation that they were in. Um, that certainly can be us at times. Um, there are consequences for our choices. Sometimes we make bad choices and we then have to deal with those consequences. Um, in Jerusalem's case, God said for 70 years, I'm not going to hear your prayers and I am not going to answer them. I think that sometimes um, God is preparing us for something that's, that's just beyond where we are right now that we're unaware of. Um, when, when we had our first child, uh, Marky went through a, a pretty rough bout with, with postpartum depression. It was one of the hardest times we've ever had. And we did not know then the number of people that we would be able to connect and relate to because of that. The number of people that we have talked to over the last three or four years about postpartum and, and what it's like to experience that has, is, is a huge number. And of course, at the time, we had no idea. But God was preparing us to, to share that with others and to be able to grow with others through that. And honestly, I just think sometimes God wants us to grow. He's a parent to us. Um, my my three-year-old, he, he wants mom to cover him up as he goes into bed. So we put him in bed. He asks mom to cover him with the blanket. Uh, but he's my son, so he runs like five degrees over normal human temperatures. And he immediately kicks the blanket off within a couple of minutes. Um, at some point during the night, he wants the blanket back. And he does not know how. And so he then calls for one of us to come fix it for him. And so I was tired of that. I decided it was time for him to learn to cover himself up with the blanket. So the next night, uh, he gets into bed, and he says, Mom, will you cover me? And I said, nope, today you're going to learn, bud. And he's like, I, I don't want to. No, thank you. I'll just have Mom cover me, please. And I said, no, it it's time. It's time to learn. And so I grabbed the blanket, and I said, it's really easy. You grab this corner with this hand, you grab this corner with this hand, and you just lay back with it, and you pull it up, and that's it. Now you're covered up with your blanket. You can fix it anytime you want. And he wanted, he wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, and in his mind, from his perspective, I am withholding from him something that I am perfectly capable of giving to him, right? He wants something, and I have the power to give it to him, and I am now the cruel withholding party in his mind. But two weeks later, 
to watch the pride and joy in his face as he says, let me show you how to do it. You take this in this corner, you take this corner in this hand, and you do this, and then you pull it back, and that's how you do it. I do it all by myself now. To watch as a parent, to see him grow and become more independent and to know how to do these types of things. I perfectly believe that, that during the, the learning process, he was unhappy, that he felt he was suffering, and even though I had the power to end that suffering, I didn't. But as a parent, knowing that he needs to be able to understand and do these things by himself, that's my job, to help him get to that point, to get through the trial and to learn from it. So there's a, there's a famous statement from, from a Greek philosopher named Epicurus, and his basic statement is, it's a little more complicated than this, I'm going I'm to water it down a little bit, but God cannot be both benevolent and omnipotent. He can only be one or the other. So benevolent, all good, omnipotent, all powerful. If God is benevolent and all good, and yet he's unable to stop bad things from happening, he must not be all powerful. And if God is omnipotent and all powerful, but chooses not to stop bad things from happening, he must not be all good. And, and it's an interesting conversation, but I think it's short-sighted on both accounts. It completely takes away the power of trials and tribulations, of going through something, learning and growing through it. And, and I believe if we view God as a parent, as someone who is helping us grow, as we look at, at the trials in our lives, that, that we can appreciate them, that we can understand that coming on the other side, we learn about ourselves. We, we are able to relate to others better. Our connection to God grows. And we build patience and wisdom and mercy and, and all of these different things that make us better people on the other side of it. The, in my opinion, the, the very frustrating answer to, tri to trials is simply patience. That if we are willing to wait and survive the trial, that God's mercy and love and compassion will come through in the end. And that hopefully we will then be allowed the perspective of understanding why we went through what we did and hopefully learn from it. Um, again, I have no right to tell you to be patient. Uh, if, if impatience is a sin, I'm chief among the sinners. But I believe that, that those words in Lamentations and Jeremiah are just as true today as they were 2,500 years ago. That if, if we will be patient through those trials and truly believe, if you believe that God is a good God, that he would never let you experience that without a plan, without having something for you to grow through it. And, and I'm sure God's up there right now elbowing Jesus saying, I sent Bradley in to talk about patience. How great is that? But... If you believe in the God of the Bible that I believe in, and, and you can look at the trials in your life as patience opportunities, as learning opportunities, that you will understand that the experience and the knowledge and the wisdom that you learn through that experience is going to better you, it's going to better the people that you have relationship with, and it's going to better your relationship with God. And hopefully, once we learn those things, we're then willing to share those with others around us to, to help them not make the same mistakes that we made. This is what we were made for as humans. And, and that growth, that as a parent, to see my son learn how to fix his covers himself, that's the most exciting and wonderful part at the end, to see that growth and that victory. And it's very simple. I mean, it's extremely frustrating. It all very frustratingly boils down to the word patience, of being willing to wait those out and to come out the other side and trust that God's got our best interest in mind.
Let's pray. Lord, I come to you in prayer right now, and, and I just thank you for all the people who are here today. I just I thank you for um, this word from, from Lamentations and Jeremiah. Um, I pray that as we, as we learn about our own trials and our own difficulties, God, that, that we can trust in you, that we can have that patience. Um, trials are, are not fun. They're not a good time, but we believe that you're a good God, and we believe that you have good things for us, and that if we will just persevere, if we will survive the trial, that on the other side, you've got better things for us. You've got plans and opportunities and, and amazing things that are, are far greater than the, own, the, the, the things that we would plan for ourselves. Uh, I just pray that you would help every one of us to learn to be more patient, to, to be able to view the difficult things that we go through as opportunities rather than just frustrating and, and angry. I pray that, that as we go about our weeks, God, that, that we would hear your voice and your Holy Spirit, that, that we would recognize the opportunities that we have. And, and Paul even says that we should thank you for those trials. In, in the understanding that you are a good God and that you have good things for us, we thank you that you want us to grow and become better people and better connected to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this episode made a difference in your life. If you would like more information on giving your life to Jesus, visit us on the web at grace417.com.